Today I want to do something a little out of the ordinary. That's to, I want to share a few words of thanks. I want to begin by thanking Paul who was here uh, yesterday and let our men and uh, those who could make it to the uh, gathering that they had in a special training session for six hours and now they all know what they're supposed to do for God, right Paul? Okay. I'm going to hold them to it. Thank you for setting that up and thank you for giving your time and your energies and your effort. I could only be there for a short while but uh, it was obvious you um, were on top of your subject and I appreciate that very much. I also want to thank this morning and kind of a, I know it's a little odd but I want to thank Mr. and Mrs. Crawford for the amazing job you have done in raising your son, Josh. I know you know that, and I know you know he's turned out uh, far beyond probably your wildest imaginations. We enjoy him every week, and he is truly a testament to the church that he was raised in and to the faith that he has and that he's passing on. And we so appreciate you being able to loosen your grasp of him to let him journey to the far northern boundaries of Texas up here in Dallas from Houston. We really do appreciate it, and I will be glad to take you and Josh to lunch today, but if you want to hog him all to yourselves, I understand. Just see me after church and let me know what you'd like to do. Sadly, we have lunch plans if they're going, okay? <laughs> Just saying. And finally, I want to say a word to the congregation of thanks to you. For a number of months and really on and off for the past year and a half, I've been struggling with health issues, and that struggle is not going to go away completely, but I do want you to know that prayers that many of you have told me, including from the quads, the, our four uh, young kindergarten-age children who pray for me and see me every Sunday to give me a hug and remind me they're praying for me to be healed. I do believe that in the last three or four days, I've felt better than I've felt in a long time and am free of pain this morning. I do believe that those disease, one of them, and it's probably the other one, uh, affliction that's bothered me are still there, but as long as our prayers keep the pain away, I'm most thankful for you and for what you've given to me and to Sally in that regard. She wants to especially thank you, too. The less I'm hurting, the less she has to care for me, right? <laughs> I'm not worn her out yet, but I'm way down the road. These are awesome passages of scriptures. These are also the kind of passages of scripture when I read them and I think about them, I usually get really, really quiet because they have words in them that kind of shake me to my core and remind me of what, about what it means to follow Christ. Words that we all know so well that are so easy to roll off our tongue. You shall love the Lord your God with all, with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. Does that bother you? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. What about for all those other things we need to love? All is such a big box to have God in. And we've got all these other things that we want to shove down in that box with God. How 
do we do that? And then these verses that followed that also were there in Matthew 10 that she was reading. And they're so powerful. They're so, bring us up short. He who loves his life shall lose it. Not for their children's sake, not for their country's sake, but for my sake. I've got one more. I wanted to read this last. Kind of grab hold of your chairs. This one always bothered me. Especially years ago, it bothered me. If anyone wishes to come after me, it says in Matthew 16, 24, and 25, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loves his life for my sake shall find it. And then you jump down and add this to it just to make it. I know you've already heard that in once, but I want to soften what's coming next. In Matthew 10, 37 and 38, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. I read those kind of passages of scriptures, and they're intimidating. They're intimidating. Even as the years go by, and I've accepted them, and I've translated them, and I've preached on them over and over again, and I've tried to make them make sense in my, in my life with my English training of what the word all means and does not and deny me and love me more than these. And somehow I have to do something with those things for them to make sense in my contemporary mind without taking away the whole of my life and making me into uh, a person who's wandering around in the desert, just me and God, an ascetic. You know, because all of those, oh, I think I want to go to my prayer closet and just stay there. So all, the only thing that will be on my mind is God. But then, while we're seeing, just before worship started today, my four-year-old, soon-to-be five-year-old granddaughter comes down and is standing quietly by my chair. And I'm saying, hi, Michael Lou, what do you want? She said, she didn't say a word. I said, reach down and I hugged her and I said, you just come down to give me a hug? Mm hmm. Okay, God, I love you with all my heart and my mind and my soul, but what about Michael Lou? I, I love her too. I, I love Sally. I love my family. I loved my father. I continue to love my 93 year old mama. I, I love the people in my congregations. I, I, I even love you, you know? And how's God going to fit into all that? How am I going to take that love and how is it going to be all about God? How are these passages not going to overwhelm me but give me deeper understanding? How are they going to cause me to be all for God and not less for someone else? You kind of have to move your English aside and work your way through them. And if you're a person who's gone through the ordination questions when we've been talking about these 19 historic questions in Methodism that Wesley charged the first uh, pastors with, and we continue to charge the pastors, the ordained elders who are 
ordained today in the United Methodist Church, he asked this question. After all those other questions about salvation and sanctification, Christian perfection, and are you really earnestly striving after it, then he says this. And this is kind of a trans transition question. It's kind of what's come before it, and it's kind of leading us into the more practical things of ministry. He looks at them, and I can see those eyes piercing those first traveling pastors. As he says, are you resolved to devote yourself wholly to God and God's work? Are you resolved, not still thinking about it? Have you made up your mind? Have you set your whole focus upon devoting yourself, making this your greatest target of affection, to devote yourself wholly to God and God's work? You're not selling Jesus an insurance too. It's in the book of discipline. You're not a consultant and a pastor too, unless it directly applies to what God is calling you to do. You're not really even writing books unless they're all about Jesus and all about God. You're devoting yourself to the calling of serving Jesus Christ, to God and God's work as ordained in the United Methodist Church. You're not devoted to Buddha's work. You're not devoted to the unknown God's work. You're not devoted to some kind of pluralism that includes anybody's halfway belief about God, but are you devoted entirely to the work of God as we know him in the scriptures? And if your answer is no, then politely go take your seat. If your answer is yes, brace up your trembling legs. I remember those questions. Well, what do I do with my devotion to beat everybody I play with golf? You know, how do I do that, Lord? You know, have you talked to my wife about this? Because I was wholly devoted in the first church after seminary. I was so fired up after three years. I got to there as the first associate pastor they had had in a while since uh, uh, Dennis had left. And Dennis and I were as different as night and day. And he was from Aleph and I was from Asbury. That's as far as the east is from west, theologically. Uh, and I followed him, and he was much beloved, and he'd been there four years, and I stayed 18 months. <laughs> I wasn't much good at associate work, uh, especially when I had a worn out, decimated emotionally pastor who was supposed to be leading the church, and I was so fired up to work. And so I took every counseling appointment. Josh, sorry to tell the whole congregation this, but... I was a youth pastor, Cindy, I was a leader of Christian education in that church of 300. I was in charge of evangelism. I shared the pastoral calling work, and I preached twice in 18 months. I wasn't going to preach, but everything else, the associate pastor got to have his glory in. And man, did I burn the wicked all ends. Night and day and night and day. I couldn't get enough of it. I was so anxious to give out because I had been taking in for so long. And I had so much I wanted to do. Holy to God. I remember we moved to a quaint little church in Salina, Texas after 18 months for a variety of reasons. 
We won't go into those. I remember Sally coming into me as we were unpacking, as I recall it. Now, I know she's going to tell this story to different to the rest of you. But that's all right. It doesn't matter to me. This fits my sermon, and this is my memory. <laughs> we were settling in, and she came up to me one day there at the house early on, and she said, I want to tell you something. I said, what, darling? We had Sarah then, and uh, she was teaching, and I was never there. And so she looked at me with those brown eyes, and they were not as big and round as you see them normally. They were more slanted. There were kind of sparks coming out. And she said, don't you ever do that to me again. What? You were never at home. You were never there for me. And Jesus didn't call you to that. And I don't, I don't know if she said the last, but she just said, don't do it again. And I went, okay. Let me think about that. Okay. And then I realized that being wholly devoted to God and to Jesus has to have room in it for me also to be devoted to my wife, to my children, to the people in my community, to my parents, the rest of my family. And I know every one of you, when you read those passages of Scripture, wonder what that means to be wholly devoted to God and still have room to make a living, have a room to enjoy life, take vacations when it's time to, have a hobby, do something with your life that's meaningful to you with others. Surely God didn't mean for you to be a hermit in a hut and a preacher on the street corner 365 days out of the year. Well, I'm here to bring a few Rolades to you and a few Tums, whatever is your brand. He didn't intend for that. But he did still intend for the scripture to be true. How are we to be wholly devoted in that way? The picture I drew with the kids, which I hope you caught the point of that, is just that. As long as we seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, then all these other things are added to us. I need to love Sally as I love God. I need to love Sally by loving God. I need to love my children in the same way, my grandchildren in the same way. I need to love you in the same way. You can't have all my time, but you should have a lot of my time. As individuals, you get some of my time. When it's necessary, you get what you need, I hope and pray. But every time I love you, I have to love you always in the context about love God first. You say, well, what does that look like? That means occasionally I may tell you something you don't want to hear because I love God more and too much to allow you to stay where you don't need to be. It means that occasionally, as I'm loving God first and foremost in my life, that I say things, sometimes I say things from the pulpit, and one of you may go, he's preaching right to me, and it's because he heard about what happened last week. That is never the case. I always wait two months or three before I'll do that. 
And there's not a sin in that book or in your life that you don't share with a number of people just in a congregation this size. Now, I know we're not going around talking about our sins, and we're not going to start, by the way, tomorrow. That's just not the way Christians live, because after all, we've been singing about how we've been forgiven. And God's grace is enough to cover it all. But let's talk about a little bit about what we do need to be aware of as we seek God's love first and foremost in our life, and through that, love all these other things and people in our lives that are important as well. Let's first talk about what resolved means. And in Carolyn Moore's book, she writes, it means surrendered, submitted, committed, and sacrificially obedient. I'm going to talk about how many did the number end up yesterday, John? I last heard 19. Did you look like you had more than that? 30 men yesterday on Saturday came to the church at 9 o'clock in the morning to hear a guy speak for six hours, and they didn't leave until 5 yesterday afternoon. I define that as sacrificially committed. That's the longest gathering we've had yet to hear a guy share an important message that had meant a lot to John that he invited to come and address the men with. I know that men that made that commitment had to say no to some other things in order to say yes to that. That is what it means to be sacrificially committed. doesn't mean you do it every time something comes up at the church that you say no to your family, but it does mean that sometimes you do. I remember as a father who loved to watch my daughter play basketball, uh, that I made almost every game. And I was sometimes the only one there during the tournaments when other people had to work and I didn't. But occasionally on nights, I couldn't go to a game because of a big meeting, because somebody had died. And I remember the first time it was really big because it was a thing we shared together. It was a part of who she was and who I had been, and it, we didn't, we didn't want to give that up. And uh, Maddox now at two is shooting at the basketball goal in their living room, and he is uh, trying to dunk it. You know, he's a terror. I remember one night, it was a, it was a important game, and I, she was going in. When she came in that afternoon, I, I had to tell her, I said, I can't come tonight. And she looked at me like, uh, why is that? And I said, I told her what had happened at the church, and some people there needed me to be there. Somebody had lost a loved one, somebody had died. And I looked at her and I said, you understand that at this point has to be more important than the basketball game. And she said, I understand, Dad. It's all right. Go ahead and go. I may have never taught her anything else in her life. <laughs> I think I might have taught her another thing or two. But knowing that she understood that and accepted that, and was okay with that, released me to love her even more and to love God as I've been called to love God. She understood what it mean, meant to give up her father, to love others at times, and not be there for her. Sacrificially committed, submitted, surrendered. She goes on to say, this is obviously not just for pastors, but it should be for pastors, absolutely. But it also should be all for all of the followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus really, we're in the business of believing Jesus likes 
accepts and is okay with part-time Christians. Now, let me tell you when Jesus is okay with part-time Christians, because I don't want you to get the wrong idea about this, because it would be wrong. When you first come to Christ, let's just accept that as a baby in Christ, you are part-time. Very few people, unless it's an adult conversion, and by adult, I don't mean 15 or 14, I mean 29. Very few Christians, when they come to Christ and Jesus and accept his forgiveness, are sacrificially committed to the Lord of their life. He's just one of the many things that are important in their life at that point. And that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be because fully believing in Jesus, being fully committed to Christ is like marriage. It takes a lifetime. It's a process. It has a beginning and it has an end. But in between, there's this growth period. What Jesus is not all right with is when we quit growing. And we try to be part-time Christians, and we've been going to church for 30 years. That's not okay. Not with God, not with Jesus, and not with the Holy Spirit. Your initial forgiveness does not cover all of that unless you are continually pursuing the God who has pursued you. I don't know how many times I've said that since I've been here in five years. That's pure Wesleyan theology. Now, a few of you who are more evangelical than you are Wesleyan, you're going, well, that's not really exactly the way it is, Doug. You'll have to go to another church to prove that. And I'm not going with you, so let's just agree to disagree. Because for me, the scriptures also say that that's what Jesus demanded. He demands all of us, and he demands it for a lifetime. There really is no retirement from Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have to need forgiveness when we get our priorities out of whack and we sometimes slip God from that big outer circle back into the circle with a lot of other things. That is going to happen to all of us. We're going to slip slide our way to heaven, right? Just like the song sang. But that's okay. There's forgiveness for that when we come back to God. And God is always there to receive us. Now, how this looks like is it means that, especially means in these tough times of life, the obstacles of life, that are also the obstacles to our faith. That when we are wounded, we remember that we love God more. As a pastor, you have to remember that. And you need to remember it real early. Earlier than most of us learn it, we have to remember. And you say, why? Because when somebody comes up to you and cuts you to your core, because you're a young pastor and you said something dumb, you did something dumb, or they don't have a clue about what they're saying, you have to go on and love them anyway. <laughs> young pastors aren't that great at that. Beware of young pastors. If you're going to be critical, beware. They might not take it well, you know. They just might not. They might not have progressed far enough to do that. And trust me, when they get older, sometimes they don't take it as well as they did when they were younger either in between years. But that's the, that's the way, hopefully, as they get older, you can say almost anything and they still love you. And if they don't, shame on them. That's what it means to love God more than anyone else. When you're wounded, you still love. It means when you hesitate that the next time you don't. It means when you have conflicts with people in the church, you get over them and love one another and that the conflicts do not separate you. It means when you have doubts, you find answers to your doubts and you continue to look for God showing up because God always does. It means when you have fears, which is probably the biggest problem for adults. When your fears want to overwhelm you and assure you that God can't take care of you, you believe. I'll admit, 
I've had a little more fear lately in my life than I've had in a long time, and I didn't like it when I was having it, and I was talking to myself and preaching to myself about it, but the fear was still there, and it persisted until step by step, and because of your prayers, and because of God's faithfulness, that's all begun to melt away. And I'm really at peace with my future and where I'm going and what that looks like, whatever that is. But fears are normal. But whenever you're afraid, you have to remember you're committed to God wholly and completely, and you are resolved to serve him. And in perfect love, there is no fear, the scripture says. I don't need to fear God, and I don't need to fear where God is taking me. Now, I did. When they called me to be a, God called me to be a Methodist pastor, I thought, are you kidding? And I said as much to him. How about, how about a Baptist? They stay for 30 years sometimes in the church of 40. I can do that. Nope, you're going to be a Methodist, Doug. I said, you know they send us all around Texas. I've told you this story. I said, do you know that I'm going to be moving my family every four or five years or maybe every three years? I've seen them move sooner, Lord, and I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm used to staying in one point. One place, the Millers live within 40 miles of Garland, Texas. That's where I belong. And Jesus said, say goodbye. <laughs> and I said, how are you going to take care of us? And God knows they could send me to God knows where. And they did. I went to the first church as an associate, and it wasn't too bad. I thought, okay, this is okay. It's not too far from anybody. And then when I got ready to leave there and was ready for my own church, I needed to get out of there. I remember three months before going to a meeting at a little tiny dumpy church in a little dumpy town. I said, oh, God, don't send me here. <laughs> Six months later, God sent me there. <laughs> and while I was a student pastor, he sent me to the Fannin County. And I kissed it goodbye as I left to go to the seminary and said, I will not see you soon. Don't send me there, Lord. God sent me to Bonham, Texas. I said, okay, God, that's far enough east, no farther east. Don't ever send me anywhere else. Next appointment, Paris, Texas. We were close to nothing but Paris, Texas. We had to drive two hours to go to the mall. It almost destroyed Sally. She started shopping at Bell's. There was nowhere else. And after Paris... I said no, and I said no again because I got older. I didn't know you could do that when I was younger. But I, you want to go to Frisco, Doug? No, I, why would I want to go there? I'm not through here in Paris, so I didn't. Three years later, I said, okay, I'm ready to go to Frisco because God said go to Frisco, and I had to go tell the DS, I want to go to Frisco. I hate Dallas County, and I hate everything in Dallas and the big city, but I, I think you should send me to Frisco. But you, he said, you know, that's not the normal path. I said, can't help it. That's what God told me to do, so... I'm just sharing with you what God told me. You figure it out. Six months later, we moved to Frisco, Texas. And then to Carrollton, really? I mean, I mean, I live in Dallas County. I don't belong in Dallas County. I'm a country boy. And my wife loves it in Dallas County. She's got four malls and a toll way to every one of them. You know? She's got her grandbaby's clothes, and she's not even that far to Tyler. It's all perfect. And I'm like, really? Carrollton, Texas. We've never been happier in our lives 
in a worshiping congregation right here. That's what God does with our lives when we surrender them. Even though we have doubts and fears and hesitations and worries and concerns, he removes them, everyone, one by one. And in the end, what there is is what there was in the beginning. There's the Christ of our salvation, the Jesus that we follow, and the God who created us and made us to live in his image. And thanks be to God, that's who he's called us to be. Holy he is. Continually, now, and forever. Let me read the words of Paul. I don't want you to think this is a Jesus thing. This is a scriptural thing. Because Paul says, as only Paul can say it. More than that, I count all things to be loss. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered for the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the death. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. My brothers and my sisters, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ as he understood his Lord. May we all continue to strive to attain that plan for which God has planned for us. In his glory, bringing us that wholeness and that peace of life that he prays for us all to have. Don't be afraid. When you're doubting, he'll ease your doubts. When you're lost, he'll find you. When you're stumbling, his strong right hand will steady you. If you're here today and you don't know that Jesus, then the Jesus that you know is far too small. Take the Jesus that is large enough to handle your whole life for all of your days. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. If you're here today and you need to respond to Christ in any way, if you need to accept him as your Savior, or you need to join this church and be a part of this church family, you could do no better as you gather here for worship week in and week out. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.